0: 1 Samuel 25, last time I preached in the evening service, we looked at 1 Samuel 25 verse one, Uh, but today we will be considering verses two to the end. But again, let me, for the sake of context, just read verse one also, I know I haven't put it there, but uh, I'll start from verse one. And I'll read all the way to, should be 44, not 43. And I read. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in mourn. Whose business was in Camel. The man was very rich. He had three thousand sheep and a thousand goats. He was shearing his sheep in Camel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David had in the wilderness that neighbor was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Kamel, and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have, you have sheared. Now your shepherds, Have been with us. And we did did them no harm. And they missed nothing. All the time they were in common. Ask your young men. And they will tell you. Therefore let my young men. Find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please. Give whatever you have at hand. To your servants. And to your son David. When David's young men. Came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servant Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I? Have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his young men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man, uh, every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David. While 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master,
1: and he railed at
0: them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the field. As long as we went with them, they were a wall to us, both by night and by day. All the while we were with them uh, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared, and five sails of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband neighbor. And as she rode on the donkey, and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met, uh, she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have gathered all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I live so much as one meal of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face, and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please, let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so he is, Nabal is his name, and falling is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as you, your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord uh, uh, be as enabled. And now, let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting in the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you, and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies, uh, and the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as far as from the hollow uh, of a And when the Lord has done to uh, my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you Prince of over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who has kept me this day from blood and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning. There had not, uh, truly by morning, there had not been left to Naboth so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal and told him, and, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel. they said to her, David has sent us to you to. Take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed uh, with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your hand made the servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wife. So, Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Lish, who was of Gali. Uh, before we look at God's word, uh, let's pray. Oh Lord, we come to you again. We ask you that you would feed us, from the bread of your word that you would help us to learn that you would help us to be corrected to be rebuked oh lord we pray that you would even save the lost as your word goes forward strengthen me help me to be clear and faithful as i teach your word this evening so we thank you and we pray this in christ's name Amen. Some years back, um, a research was done by uh, an organization here in Kenya. And uh, they were, it should be around 2019, and they were asking young people, how many are willing to do anything to be rich? and the amazing thing is that after the results came out they discovered that more than 70 percent of the young people in kenya are willing to do anything to be rich that research was actually published in the uh daily nation and i remember after that people were discussing and they were wondering what kind of a society is this that we are having where people have no restraint. They will do anything and everything to become rich. And when you look at the desperation that is in our society, the value that people have put on wealth, the value that people have put on uh, becoming famous and having a comfortable life, and allowing themselves to be used or to be unrestrained so that they can gain whatever they can gain, we can say that this is a serious pandemic that is affecting us. A society that is not restrained is a society that is full of fools. An individual who can't restrain themselves, who can say no, I will not do that so that I can get wealthy. I'd rather be poor. I'd rather stay where I am in my situation and not do evil and not murder and not steal and not lie. We look And we hope that wisdom will grow in this country, isn't it? So that we, if that kind of a research is done again, we will not uh, find out that young men or young women are willing to do anything and everything to become wealthy. Because when we look at this passage this evening, we see that there is a man who is wealthy And not just wealthy, the Bible calls him very wealthy, but who is a fool? And we see, on the other hand, a man who is wise. He's not wealthy, he's in need, he has to beg and ask to be helped. And we see a lot of wisdom in that in the wisdom of simply restraining oneself. As we look at this passage this evening, I would want us to see that the reward for folly, the reward for that attitude that says I will do what I want, that foolishness, reward is God's judgment. And the reward for wisdom for those who would hold back themselves and trust in the Lord and hope in the Lord and be willing to listen there is a great reward stored up for them. And as we look at this reality that God judges holy and God rewards wisdom I would like us to look at three things from this passage that I trust will be a blessing to us. So the first thing I want us to see is that folly is seen or is characterized by carelessness and stubbornness. A man who is stubborn a man who is careless, a man without boundaries, a man who gives themselves to their feelings, to their emotions, to their wants and desires. It is folly. Because the Bible shows us that the world is filled with fools. But there are a few people who perfectly display this characteristic of sinful men. Right? Just as, for example, we know that wisdom, there are men who are wise. But whenever you hear the word wisdom, what name comes to your mind? Solomon, isn't it? Right? I hope you have not forgotten your Sunday school lesson. Whenever we hear the word wisdom, we think of Solomon. He is a man who typifies or shows wisdom. But then in the Bible, we see that among the few people in the Bible who typify folly is a man by the name of Neighbor. We are told that this man is so given to folly that that's what people call him. The name Nabal is folly or foolish in Hebrew. But when we look at this man, what do we see that made him to be called a fool? That people around him called him a fool. That people in his village called him a fool. That people in Israel knew him as a fool. Well, this is what we are told. Look at verse 3. Now the name of the man was neighbor. And, his, uh, and, his, uh, and the name of his wife, Abigail. Look at this. But the, the, uh, the wife was discerning and beautiful. But the man was harsh and badly behaved. That shows the core of his folly. He had bad behavior. If you look again at verse 17, look at verse 17 so that you also see aspects of not just bad behavior or carelessness in how he interacted with people, but he was also stubborn. Look at verse 17. What does his own servant say about him? Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. Look at this. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Nabal was a man who would not listen to anyone. He was wise. He was smart in his own way. He was badly behaved. And notice that badly behaved is mixed up with the word harsh. He was ill-tempered. He was a man whom, if, if you were sent to go and talk to him, if you were thirsty and the only house that had water was Nabal's house, you would think five times before you go there. And you would think, is it better to die of thirst than to go and knock at the door of this man? Or even as you knock his door, you are praying, O oh Lord, please let it not be Nabal who will open the door. Because you know what he will, how he will speak to you. He was a harsh man. He was ill-tempered. He was born. This is the heart of folly. And we must also see in this account that folly is not lack of intelligence. Folly is not lack of fame or power or even wealth. What are we told about him? We are told that he was a businessman, right? We are told that in uh, verse 2, that he was not just rich, he was very rich. If he was living in our days, he wouldn't be a millionaire. He would probably be a billionaire in our days. There were rich people, and then there were very rich people. And Nabal was in this class of people. So he was a hardworking man. We see here he's shearing his sheep. He has he's taking care of his animals. But the Bible still calls him a fool because of that attitude of his heart. He was proud. We especially see that he was a fool because in his his harshness, in his ill temper, he ignored good that was done to him. He was a man who would return evil for good as we see in how he treats David. We are told that David in the wilderness helped the servants of Nabal. They so much helped them that the servants of Nabal say that David's men were like a what? A war. They protected us. In other words, Nabal, the reason why your sheep are many, the reason why your goats are many, because David Helped and protected you. And this word goes out there. And David sends. His servants to go and. Ask for something small. He tells them you know go. He even poaches them on the words that they will use. Go and tell him peace be to you. Peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. They are not making a demand. Look at what he says. I hear that you have shearers. That's a Kenyan way of someone asking you for something, isn't it? I hear you, you have something. Eh? We, we are not very direct. We go around the corner. You know, ah, I hear you, you, you got a bonus this year. And you know where the, the, the conversation is going, isn't it? <laughs> and so David is there very careful. Eh, As we Kenyans have, very carefully. Use these words. Don't demand. Go and ask him, you know, give us something. They were not even asking for a specific thing. Please, give us whatever you have at hand. We have protected you, sir. We have kept your sheep. We made sure that raiders did not harass you, men. Give us something what does Nabal say? So that we see his harshness, his folly. Look at his answer. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? You know, he shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? You can just feel the arrogance. In his voice. His words are without discretion. They are without thought. And this will bring him trouble, as we shall see, because folly. God hates folly. And Trouble will always follow those who are fools. They may be wealthy. They may be powerful. They may, be, uh, they may have great influence. But their folly will always bring them trouble. Look at, for example, what we see in Proverbs 8, 18 and verse 6 and 7. Proverbs 18 verse 6 and 7. We see a fool's lips walk into a fight. And... His mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. If there is one thing that will always destroy a fool, it's his own folly, his own words. And another thing that he said this was a rich man, a successful man. But a man who was harsh, inconsiderate, treats other people badly. But notice that although Nabal had much advantage, it never saved him from folly. Nabal was very wealthy. But we also see that Nabal was of the right pedigree. We see that. Look at his ancestry. His descendant. Who, Which tribe did he come from? Who was his great-grandfather? Caleb. And we all know about the two brave and wise men, Joshua and Caleb. And you wonder, you read this and you wonder, Nabal was a Calebite. He came from a good family. He came from a godly family. But this didn't help him. On top of that, we are told that he was married to a wise woman. I mean, this is a man who, he is wealthy. We hope, we, you know, reading this, you, you hope that his wealth would help him to be smart. It doesn't help him. He comes from a family, a good family. His grandfather is none other than Caleb. Doesn't help him. On top of that, he is married to a wise, godly woman. Doesn't help. All this never brought a fiber of wisdom to him, it never took away folly from his heart. And why is this the case? And even if you look at today's world, it is sad that among the richest people, the most influential people, are the most foolish people, isn't it? Some of the people in positions of government, positions in co- corporate, and even sadly, in churches, positions of authority in churches are people who are fools, who are like neighbours. Harsh, badly behaved, stubborn, cannot listen to anyone, would never be corrected. Would think of themselves as being above the word of God. They shall not touch the Lord's anointed. And you just tell them, well, I'm reading in the Bible, and I see this is what the Bible is saying. No, 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 don't tell me that. That is folly, and it will bring destruction. This is a seriousness of folly. All humanity is infested with this problem. All humanity, because we are all born in Adam, we are all born as fools. It doesn't mean that uh, fools in terms of we are not intelligent or some of the bright, some of the biggest are the brightest people in the world. Sadly. And humanity is like that. We are able to invent great things. We are able to discover great things. We are able to study and explain great things. But you know what? We are like neighbors. Because when God has given us his goodness, What do we do in our sinfulness? We pay back evil for good. When God gives us rain, sun, food, what do we do? As we see in Romans chapter 1, we are told that what we do as humanity is that we actually exchange the glory of the living God and we take the glory of the living God, and we give it, or we ascribe it to things that are created. We are fools, just like this man paid back evil when good was given back, given to him. That's the state of the whole of humanity. For those who are not in Christ, for those who are still living in their sin, the Bible says that you are harboring. Folly in your heart. God has done so much good to you. God has even allowed you this evening to hear His word being preached. And yet you reject His hand. You actually insult Him. You actually live in rebellion against Him. Repent of your sin. Turn to the Lord, and He will save you from this kind of folly. Because as we see, Nabal was not helped. Don't think that education will help you. Don't think that money will help you. Don't think that fully, I mean, I mean, uh, influence will help you. It is only God. Since wisdom comes from God only. As we see in James chapter 1 and verse 5. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. To all without reproach and it will be given to him. Come to this God and he will give you his greatest display of wisdom. Salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. For us as saints, for those who are believers and you are listening to this and you are hearing about Nabal, one of the things we need to know is that we need to constantly guard our heart from folly. Because folly is still coming. And especially in how we use our words. Are you careless with your words? Are you thoughtful before you speak? Are you prayerful before you utter that statement? Believers are encouraged, inefficient to guard how we speak. To guard our speech. To ensure that our speech is helpful. It builds up. That it is able to edify those who hear it. But how, but how horrible it is when we don't add discretion to our words. We do not restrain ourselves. Pray and ask the Lord to help us. To be those who are restrained in not being emotional, not being harsh with other people, not being those who give back evil when good is given to us. But then secondly, another aspect that I want us to see is that what is wisdom? We have seen what um, a bit of what folly is from this man Nabal. But also the Bible shows us from this same chapter what wisdom is or some of the things we can see that make up wisdom. And we see that wisdom is discernment and restraint. A wise man is a man who, or a wise woman is one who restrains themselves. Those who are discerning those who are guided by the word of god before they speak before they act now it is always uh, we see a principle in in the bible that the bible not only teaches us about a principle but it also demonstrates to us in the life of someone a certain principle and just as we have seen folly Being revealed in the man Nabal, we see that God, in His wisdom, shows us what wisdom is in the lives of David and Abigail. Because David and Abigail are actually contrasts or opposites of Nabal. It's amazing that when God wants to show the contrast, He shows it doubly. He doesn't just use one person. He uses two people to show this is folly and this is wisdom. And to teach us wisdom, he gives us two examples. And that's a good thing about God. And you will always see that in the Bible. That when God is teaching us and revealing to us about a godly principle, he will always double it up. Give us double the example or triple the example so that we may learn. And he does this here by revealing wisdom from the lives of David and Abigail. And what do we see? We see discernment. Alright? We see that Abigail, a woman, is shown to be wise. Abigail's wisdom is first to be brought out in this passage. She is said to be a woman who is beautiful and a woman who is discerning. And and I love this, that again, God in his wisdom chooses to use a woman because this was a society that was, uh, uh, that wouldn't would look down on women. God here is showing, look at this woman. She is wiser than a wealthy, influential man. This is not something that is limited only to the males. It is a gift that God gives. Men and women, it is something that should be desired by men and wisdom uh, and women. this wonderful gift of wisdom and we are told that she is wise. Why? Look at how she responds to David she goes out and prepares a gift, prepares food for David and his men, sets up uh, her servants, sends them, and follows after them and looks for David. From this we see that wisdom, one of the aspects of wisdom or discernment is when we give an appropriate response to a difficult and complex situation that arises. Abigail wasn't prepared for this. This is something that comes up. She hears about it. And when she hears about it, she doesn't start, uh, you know, playing with her fingers and wondering, oh no, what do I do? What do I say? Uh, Do I run away? Which actually, that would have been the most expected response. Let me run away. Let me go and hide myself so that by the time David and his men are here, They will not find me. She gives her an appropriate response. She decides that she will take on the problem head on. She goes to David. And we see that in her words and in her actions, she was truly a woman of the sun. She takes with her the gifts that Nabal ought to have given to David. And this shows that she acknowledges David's service to Nabal and his household. She acknowledges that, hey, David did something for us. We also see in her speech that she does not minimize the consequences of Nabal's actions. She doesn't try to brush off the seriousness of neighbor's actions. And this is true wisdom also. That true wisdom doesn't minimize sin. True wisdom doesn't minimize a challenge or a problem. True wisdom confronts and says, I acknowledge that you have been wrong. Because I actually think in our culture, we, we tend to look for peace and avoid uh, dealing with the consequences of whatever has brought division, isn't it? We just say, no, 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 well, let's just be at peace, forget all about it. Uh, where we were harmed, it's okay. Let's just uh, put it off. No. She acknowledges it and she says, you know, she did wrong. Surely this man did wrong to you. The way he spoke shows his name, his, his, his personality, He is folly. You did well to our servants. And my house did not respond in the appropriate way. No minimization of the problem at hand. But we also see, she, see that she doesn't go overboard in flattering David. She says yes, the Lord will make you to be a prince over Israel. The Lord has blessed you. You are fighting the Lord's battle. But she doesn't go beyond She She's very careful. She is guarded. That is wisdom. The appropriate response. A godly response that deals both with the challenge, a challenge at hand, not brushing aside of uh, brushing things under the carpet, dealing with those things, no matter how ugly they may be. But dealing with them in uh, a way that shows uh, that she wants or there the is a desire to win over the other person. But we also see that David is a man of wisdom. While Nabal is harsh, stubborn, and impetuous, from this account, you see that David is the opposite. David is kind, merciful, and restrained. Look at what he says. The Lord, the God of Israel, uh, for as surely as the the, the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you. We see wisdom at work here. Wisdom pulls a man back from himself, from sinning by going overboard. And if you look again at the book of Proverbs, and you see what wisdom is, when the writer of Proverbs is speaking to his son, he tells him, son, restrain yourself. Do not go to the harlot's gate. Restrain your feet. My son, restrain your ears. Don't listen to her sweet words. My son, restrain your eyes. Don't look at her dressing. Don't look at the, the way she has dressed herself in a very provocative way. My son, restrain yourself. Wisdom is that. Restrain yourself. Restrain your passions. Restrain your anger. Restrain your words. The Bible even says, you know, that a fool looks wise when he is silent, isn't it? That ability to simply restrain yourself. I want to say it, but I will not say it. Brethren, there is much to be gained from restraint. And that's why, for example, we see the Bible telling us, be angry but do not sin. We are expected to be angry. But we must not allow our sin, to bu- that anger to burn up in sinful passion. to become a destructive thing. We are told in Proverbs 16 and verse 32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit. Sorry, he that ruleth his spirit. Uh, more than he that taketh a city. Controlling oneself. David realizes. That he was about to sin. Actually the word used here. Is the word blood guilt. But Blood guilt is a phrase. That is borrowed from the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it symbolizes to kill someone in cold blood. David is brought to his senses when he listens. When he hears what this little woman has to say. My Lord, you are about to commit blood guilt. If you proceed on this way, you will be guilty. Of shedding innocent blood. And wise people listen. They listen when they are warned from God's word. She knew if she. This is a phrase from. The law of God. And David loved the law. David was a man. Restrained by the law of God. And he submits to it. This is how those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God are governed. That, yes, their passions may want to take over, their tempers might want to take over, oh, but when they hear God's word, when they are reminded from the truth of God's word, they restrain themselves. They pull themselves back. This is true wisdom. That a man be warned against sin and that he turns back despite the strong urge to follow his emotion. That's true. It? That when you are warned against sin, you hear, you submit, you turn the other way. For the sinner, Turn to Christ. This is wisdom. You want to be wise? Turn away from your sins. Turn to the living God. Turn away from uh, a path that will lead to wrath. The Lord will save you. He promises to save those who are sinful. Those who are sinners. Those who see their need for a savior turn even this evening and he will save you. But then thirdly and finally, I want us, as we examine, since we have examined the two, what folly is, what wisdom is, at least from this context, Let us examine the fruit from the two because both of them will bring be assured, be assured that folly will bring its fruit, which is death. Be assured that wisdom will bring its fruit, which is God's blessing, God's favor. We see this in this chapter. Now this chapter can be said to be a fast-moving chapter. The events are connected, but they happen in a very short time. And the results of wisdom and folly are also brought about quickly. Right? We see that that it doesn't take time. Within the same chapter, both of uh, our characters are rewarded. It doesn't... uh, It's not delayed. It doesn't take time. It happens. This is to show that the fruit of folly and the fruit of wisdom will ripen fast. If there is a fruit that ripens very fast, is the fruit called wisdom, the fruit called folly. And they will both produce what they are meant to produce. They will give their reward. And we, uh, we begin with Nabal. We have Nabal who has escaped David's wrath. He's enjoying himself. He is drinking himself silly. I mean, he has just made uh, a bumper uh, profit. His sheep are increasing. And what better thing to do than to have a party? And what more? The judgment that is coming, the judgment of David is no longer there. But he hasn't escaped God's judgment. And by the way, this is something that we need to know. You can escape the judgment of men. You may do something and never be caught. Your pastors will not know about it. Your spouse Your husband or your wife might not know about it. Your parents might never know about it. The police might never know about it. But be sure that God knows. And you will not escape his judgment. We see this in the life of neighbors. You see that he is a man who lives a miserable life. He is told about the incident. That has happened. That David was coming. That David has gone back. I have repaid David. For what the good he has done done for us. And Instead of rejoicing or telling his wife. You have done something good. We are told that. His heart. Died within him. This is how. This man was. That even when things are sorted out, you would think that he would say, Oh, you've done something good. His heart dies within him. The fruit of folly is already bearing fruit. Before he even physically dies, he's already experiencing that torment of God's judgment. He's already experiencing the weight of. God's judgment. And we are told that what happens and about 10 days later the Lord struck Nabal and he died. We are not even told what the Lord did. Was it a disease? Was it someone who came and killed him? We are not told but we know it is the Lord who did it. Folly produces food. Death in the heart And finally, death, physical death. This is also how sin works itself. That the sinner is first of all dead in terms of being separated from God. But then the sinner will face physical death and they will face eternal death in hell. The fool may be wealthy, the fool may be pampered, They may be proud, but their death, their destruction is sure. The psalmist, in Psalm 73, the psalmist speaks about the wicked. He sees the wicked and he sees how prosperous they are. And he asks himself, oh Lord, look at the wicked. The wicked are prospering. In vain have I kept my hands clean. Look at the corrupt people. They are driving all the best cars. They are eating the good food. They are going to the best hospitals. The psalmist even says that they are full of health. They are healthy. Because they don't eat junk food like we do. They live in good places. But then he gains wisdom. And in Psalm 73 verse 12, this is what 12 and 18. And 19, this is what he says. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. But in verse 18, truly you set them in a slippery place. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terror. Judgment comes. But on the other hand, we see the blessing. The reward of wisdom. Those whom the Lord blesses with with wisdom. We see the reward of both Abigail and David. For Abigail, she is now set free from being bound to a man full of folly. She is set free from the bondage of being Ruled or submitting under a man who is characterized by foolishness, harshness, stubbornness. And she is not just set free, but she is now bound to a man who is wise. A man who is kind. A man who is godly. And a man who will one day be the king of Israel. God's appointed king. Now, we might read this and wonder wow, I mean, this has happened so fast. Nabal dies, Abigail Abigail remarries. In our times, maybe we might have a problem with this, but in biblical times, this would happen. This is uh, something that is. Sanction because she is no longer bound to the husband who is dead. She is now set free to be bound to David, the great king. And Paul actually uses the same example in the book of Romans, doesn't he? He says that those who are bound to the, to the law, to its guilt, to its condemning power, Now they are dead to that and can now be joined in Christ, to Christ. Now this is a picture of, it's ultimately a picture of the reward which God's people will receive. And what is the reward that God's people will receive? That they will be forever joined to their groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they will live and reign with Him for eternity. This is a blessed reality of those who live according to the wisdom and the counsel of God's Word, who are restrained by the power of the Holy Spirit, who have been re- renewed and regenerated, being made a holy people. God. This is the blessed reality we have in Christ. Oh, for those who are still in their sins, turn to Christ again. Repent of your sins. Don't be joined anymore to folly. Your folly will not help you. It will only actually lead to eternal death and judgment before God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you this evening. We have seen in your word in this one chapter a summary of wisdom and folly. We have seen the folly of Nabal leading to his death, And we have seen the discernment the restraint of Abigail and David leading to life and leading to them being joined together. We thank you, O Lord Jesus, that you saved us, we who are married to our own folly, we who wallowed in our own pride, carelessness, and stubbornness, that by your Holy Spirit you made us to hear your word and to be submitted to It, and to be made wise by coming to Christ and confessing him. We pray, O Lord, that we would continue to be thankful. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to restrain ourselves Oh Lord, our passions, our urges, our desires are, and our, our emotions are more stronger than us, O oh Lord. But we pray that you would grant us that restraining power that comes from your spirit. That we would guard our words, that we would guard our actions, that like Abigail, even when dealing with tough situations in our lives, that we would not ignore them, we would not run away from the hard things, but that we would confront them and deal with them, no matter how hard they may be, dangerous they may be, that we would be those who go forth, knowing that you are able to save us and to protect us. Because we are in your word. We pray that you would save the lost. Help them to turn from their sinful ways. And to look to you for help. We thank you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.